Episode 55. Is the world about to end? Now let's clarify what we mean by the end of the world. We don't mean the Hollywood-like nuclear apocalypse thing where it's just a mass death event and the world becomes a hellscape, nothing like that. When we say the end of the world, and when Christians refer to the end of the world, what we mean is the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes again in glory and this world passes away and then there is judgment. That's what we mean by the end of the world. And a lot of people have been asking themselves this. It's probably true in every age, even in the early church. In some of St. Paul's letters, you get the impression that they were awaiting Christ's imminent second coming, like very, very soon. And then it becomes clear that certain things have to happen first. In our episode on what is divine providence, we noted that there is a purpose for God's creation and that it has to reach its fulfillment. What that fulfillment is or when it happens, we're not exactly sure. But people have been asking themselves if the world is going to end soon because in our age there seems to be an unprecedented amount of evil and resistance to God. And a lot of people say, well, you know what, back in the times before Christ or back in ancient times where they were pagans, there was a lot of evil, there was a lot of demonic-like stuff. People rejected God or didn't follow the true God. But our age is different because before God's revelation to his chosen people, you had paganism. Of course, paganism continued on up until and during and after Christ's coming. But now we live in a post-Christian world, meaning past ages didn't know God, but our age does know God and does know the teaching of Christ and we've rejected it. So we're actually apostates and that's never been the case before in history to have a whole apostate civilization, a civilization that has heard the gospel and also rejects it. And that accounts for a lot of the evil, physical and moral evil that we deal with in our day. Look at the political order and what's happened to families and our view of the human person. That's why a lot of people are asking, Christ has to be coming soon because it doesn't seem like things can get much worse. Whatever the world was for, it must have run its course because things don't seem to be getting any better and there doesn't seem to be much glimmer of hope of things getting better. And we'll talk about what the signs are that Christ gave us that are to precede his second coming and try and lay those out so we can judge for ourselves whether or not Christ is coming soon. But the first most important thing to recognize is that for you and for me, Christ is coming soon, so to speak, within our lifetime or rather at the end of our lifetime. That is when we are judged, when we leave this world and are judged. Sometimes we can get too... Uh, obsessed with the events that precede Christ's second coming, that we ignore the way more important question of our preparation to meet him when we leave this world, which again is, it could be no more than one day from now, or one hour from now, or 20 years from now, or 40 years from now, whatever, depending on how old you are. But the question is, do we prepare for that? Let's say we did find out that Christ was going to come in a week or a year or two years or sometime within your lifetime, how would you prepare knowing that? You know, faithful Christians would probably repent of their sins, go to confession, spend a lot of time in prayer and fasting, trying to grow closer to God to prepare and to joyfully anticipate his coming. Well, whatever you would do if you knew that Christ was coming in glory in a week or a year or whatever, do that because Christ can be coming that soon for you. The devil wants us looking at the future and being anxious about the future and being super concerned about the future. But you'll note that Christ told us specifically not to do that, to not be anxious about tomorrow. 
And the devil likes it when we focus on the kind of the strangeness and the wonder of what the second coming will be like. He wants us to be concerned with that at the expense of the more, let's say, mundane reality of the state of our soul right now and what would happen if we were to die right now. So if you take away one thing from this episode, take away that lesson of preparing now as if Christ were going to come tomorrow. Make sure that all is well with your soul. Make sure that you get to confession if you haven't been in a long time. That's the best way to prepare for Christ's coming. Because if we take care of the state of our soul and always trying to grow in charity, trying to grow in grace, trying to follow the Lord's will and detach ourselves from things of this world, then it doesn't matter when Christ comes again. We can look forward to it with great joy and expectation because we want to meet him. We want to see him face to face in heaven. Let's look now at the words of Jesus himself about the end of the world. In Matthew 24 is the most well-known and most extensive description that Christ gives. In verse 3, beginning there, it's a rather lengthy portion I'm going to read to you, but it's important. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. But about the day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Okay, so I didn't read the whole chapter and left out some of the excerpts there to keep it a little bit shorter, but a lot is in there. And the first thing we need to note is that prophecy in Scripture, including the prophecies given by Christ, they're multi-layered in the sense that they prophesy things that were imminent, things that were going to happen in history, 
and were fulfilled shortly thereafter, and things that are still to come in the future that we haven't experienced. So, for example, Christ here is both talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which would happen about 40 years after he died in the year 70, and also he's talking about the end of the world, the consummation of the world and the second coming. Same thing can be said about, say, John in the book of Revelation. His visions are about persecution and the evil of that time, and also about the end of the world. So, in the words we just read, Christ tells us a couple things, if we were to oversimplify. On the one hand, at the beginning of the first half of that prophecy is about the signs, that it will be obvious, and he lists all these things that we've, we've experienced, you know, wars, famines, earthquakes, etc., persecution, and those things happened then, and they happened all throughout history up until now. And then he mentions signs in the sky, you know, the stars and the moon and the sun, that there will be something related to those that will signal the end of the world. And then towards the end, the second half of what he said, he says it's totally unexpected. So on the one hand, we see signs. On the other hand, it's going to come at a time when we don't expect, which is kind of, a, it seems like a, a paradox. But I think what can be taken out of this is for the one who is faithful, for the one who follows Christ, for the one whose faith is strong and whose life of grace is strong, the one who has an intense supernatural life, the signs will be obvious. For one who isn't a follower of Christ, for one who does not pay attention to the signs of the times, as he says, then it will come as something totally unexpected. That's why he relates it to the time of Noah. You know, Noah listened to the voice of God, so he was prepared. Everyone else didn't listen, and they were taken totally unawares. So I think that's how you reconcile the two seemingly incompatible things here, that there will be these very obvious signs, and on the other hand, that it will be totally unexpected. Think about in another place, Christ's parable about the uh, virgins with the oil lamps. That the ones who had oil in their lamps were waiting just like the ones who didn't have oil in their lamps. But as soon as they heard the voice of the bridegroom, boom, they were ready. And so they responded immediately. Whereas those who didn't have oil in their lamps had to scramble around and try and find oil and they were shut out. That shows the importance of being prepared. That if we have a deep relationship with Christ, if we are constantly reflecting on his word and scripture, trying to grow the life of grace in our soul through reception of the sacraments and daily prayer and penance and works of mercy, then there will be some obvious sign to us when Christ is about to come again. A sign that will not be obvious to those who do not follow Christ. And that might be overly general. I, I can't give a line-by-line -line analysis of what the lines are, what the signs are actually going to be, specifically both because I'm not qualified to do that and also don't have enough time. But I think the main takeaway is the signs will be obvious to us if we are closely united to Christ. We will be totally be taken by surprise and unprepared if we do not spend this life, if we do not spend the time left to us trying to grow closer to Christ and reflect on his word. The lives of the saints are a perfect example. They, they had insights into spiritual realities that the rest of us don't in general. For example, even knowing the time of their death or knowing things about the future that aren't obvious to the rest of us. I think that's the key to being prepared for the end, is always being prepared to meet Christ in judgment. And if that is the case, then if Christ's second coming is going to happen within your lifetime, you will know. Because you'll be given some insight and some ability to read the signs of the times that won't be given to those who are detached from Christ.
We'll go into this whole topic in more detail in the member episode this week at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. Let me just conclude this episode by reading beautiful reflections of Father Martin von Kalkum from The Four Last Things. And again, this is just a devotional reflection, but he has a segment on the signs that shall precede the last judgment, and I'll just read a few uh, excerpts here. Jesus Christ, the judge of the living and the dead, who at his first coming appeared upon the earth in all stillness and tranquility, under a gentle and attractive form, will come again the second time to judgment with great majesty and glory. In order that his advent may not find us unprepared, he will send beforehand many and terrible signs to warn us to abandon our sinful life. Of these signs he himself says, There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, men withering away for fear and expectation of what shall come upon the whole world. There is therefore every reason to believe that a considerable time before the last day, fearful signs will appear in all the lands in the heavens. These signs will become more numerous day by day, and men will be struck with such terror that if God did not shorten those days, even the very elect will begin to, would begin to despair. Then, as St. Jerome says, the heavens will be overcast with heavy clouds, and a dreadful tempest will arise. This darkening of the sun will take place in the full light of midday, and as its golden rays enlightening the face, the face of nature rejoice both man and beast, so the sudden withdrawal of its light will cause sorrow and distress to the whole of creation, and this all the more because the moon will cease to shine and her gentle peaceful light will no longer illuminate the shades of night. All the stars also which bespangle the firmament and cast a glimmering to earth will disappear from their accustomed place. This awful darkness will strike such alarm and anguish to the heart of all living creatures, both men and brutes, that the mourning and lamentation will be universal. With the wail of distress ascending from the dwellers upon earth, the howls of the evil spirits in the air will mingle in hideous concert, for they will perceive from these signs that the day of judgment is at hand. They know that they will soon have to appear before the rigorous tribunal of God. They know they will be cast down to hell for all eternity, hence their fury, their rage, and frantic raving. What will the feelings be of the man who lives through events such as these? Upon earth will be the distress of nations by reason of the confusion of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, men withering away for fear and expectation of what shall come upon the whole world. Their hair will stand on end, their knees will strike together, they will quake with fear. Thus the whole world will be brought to a terrible end and everything on this earth will either be consumed or purified by the fire. After this has happened, the appearance of the earth will be completely changed. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please give us a five-star rating and a good review, and share this podcast with your family and friends. God bless.